Well, we're in the book of Matthew chapter number 16, 17 rather. Let's get to it. Matthew chapter number 17. We've been in Matthew 16 so long. I was so used to saying that. Matthew 17 now. <clears throat> also find your place in Hebrews and chapter number 11. The latter part, Hebrews 11 is a long chapter. So maybe take something to mark your Bible there. In Hebrews chapter number 11, we'll turn to it. Uh, towards the end of the message. I was thinking that, you know, some of the songs even that we sing and even the, uh, the offer, offertory um, just had such a, a majestic sound to it, you know, and I've used that word already. And of course, I know what I'm preaching. You don't get to find that out till it's preaching time, right? But, um, you know, I, I'm just thinking about the message, even in the light of the songs that's going on and and, you know, the, so the, the way that the instrumentalists are playing, you think, man, there's a coronation service going on here today. But the fact is, is that Jesus already is king and we're just acknowledging that Jesus is indeed king. So Matthew 17, although I actually would like for us to start in chapter 16 and uh, verse number 21, then we'll drop down and read a few other verses from that time forth. So from the time that Peter acknowledged that Jesus was indeed the Christ, the son of the living God. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he, as Messiah, he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes. And please notice this and be killed. But then don't stop reading there and be raised again the third day. So this didn't compute with the disciples. This it just didn't measure up. We'll come to that in the course of preaching. Now, verse number 27. For the son of man shall come in the what? Glory. glory. The son of man shall come in the glory of his father with his angels and then shall, then he shall reward every man according to his works. Verily, I say unto thee, unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So now obviously he didn't mean that he was going to set up his, his kingdom in their time, in their lifetime, because that didn't happen the disciples have already passed off the scene. So what does it mean? Well, if you just keep reading, I think it answers it into chapter 17. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. And was what? Transfigured. Transfigured. Uh, the word is the word from which we get our English word metamorphosis, uh, changing like a, uh, you know, uh, into a butterfly and such. That's, that's the idea. That's the word that we use, uh, metamorphosis. And so in Greek, if you were to look it up, then that's exactly what you'd be looking at. He was transfigured before them and his face did shine as the sun. And his raiment was white as the light. And it doesn't stop there. Look at verse three. And behold, 
there appeared unto them Moses and Elias, or Elijah, talking with him. Then answered Peter, who often didn't know what to say, but said it anyways. Right now, I added that part just get you thinking about Peter. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. That's not a bad statement. That's true. If thou wilt, <laughs> he's about to plan out the millennial kingdom right here. I guarantee it. <laughs> if thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. Notice verse five. I love this. While he yet spake, God interrupted Peter. <laughs> While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud, which said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Stop talking. Listen to him. Peter, <laughs> hear ye him. Verse six. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. And when he had and when they, rather, had lifted up their eyes, please notice this, they saw no man save Jesus only. So then the Bible goes on in verse 9 to explain as they're making their way back down from the mountain what kind of discussion that they had there. It says, And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then say the scribes that Elias or Elijah must first come? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Elias truly shall first come and, what's it say? Restore all things. Verse 12, But I say unto you that Elias is come already. And they have done unto him whatsoever they listed. L likewise, notice this is still all the same context, chapter 16 into verse chapter 17. Likewise shall also the Son of Man, what? Suffer of them. Then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist in reference to Elijah coming. Very interesting passage, would you agree? So the title of the message here this morning is this, A Glimpse of His Glory. A Glimpse of His Glory. I wish there was some physical way by which we might here today just get a glimpse of His glory, but I guarantee you we couldn't take it. We'd be on our face just like the disciples were. They got a glimpse of His glory. The depths of despair cannot compare with the glory that is to come. May God bless the reading of His Word as you're seated. We're going to think about it here this morning out of Matthew 17 and Hebrews 11 and 12.
When you're uh, about to start something that is difficult, uh, it's, it's good, it's good to begin by looking ahead at the end results, what, what, I, what you're trying to accomplish. So somebody that maybe is making their way through high school or through college, then they'll think about the day they're going to graduate and, and thus they're getting their sights set on that. You're renovating a room. And, and you, um, you look forward to having the room done. You probably even look forward more than that, even to this, having it all paid for, right? Uh, and everybody here knows that once you get into one of those projects, it turns out to be more than what you thought, right? But you, you have an idea. You've seen it online. Uh, your wife has seen it on Pinterest. And now it's going to look that way in your house. <laughs> it'll take a miracle, but it'll be there, right? Um, and so you, you get an idea, and so you work towards that end, towards a finished goal. Um, maybe you're baking a cake, or you're, ma you're making a meal. I'm excited that we're coming up on some, uh, some holiday season here, you know, and looking forward to Thanksgiving and, and other times, you know, and you think about that meal. Well, it's a lot of work uh, that goes into it, as I have observed. Um, but maybe you're, you're thinking about that, but the thing that you keep in mind is I, I can't wait till the family's around the table and, and, and they're enjoying that meal. Maybe you're coaching, uh, your kid's football team and, and, and you, you, <laughs> they got a long way to go, but you're thinking about that trophy at the end of the, the season, or, or maybe you are putting together a swing set at your home and, and you, <laughs> you look at all those instructions. Which, which, which one's English, right? And you're looking at all those instructions, but you look at the box and you see, you get an idea of what it's supposed to look like once it's all assembled. Maybe, uh, maybe you're running a race. Maybe it's a 5K, maybe a 10K or a half marathon, or maybe some of you a, a whole marathon. And you're thinking about that race. I guarantee you what you're thinking about most is this, the finish line. The finish line. I think I've ran three half marathons and I've enjoyed one of them. And it was the first one, Brother Brad Bigelow's here, and he, uh, he helped me. We ran the first half of it, and then he, he ran alone on the second half, way up ahead. But man, I couldn't wait to get to the finish line. But between, between the starting line and the finish line, it was rather challenging. Uh, you know, Brother Aaron, I'm thinking about the choir and, and uh, how many we have in the choir. It's a blessing and the cantata that's coming up. I look forward to the cantata. I look forward to it with the orchestra and and all the work that goes into it. But I mean, it's a lot of work, but you, you got to begin with the end in mind and that'll help you when you're in the midst of it. Maybe it's a road trip and you kind of get an idea of how many hours you're going to be on the road, but you think about the destination, whether it's to see your grandkids or your great grandkids and, and all those 12 hours of traveling are going to be worth it once you get there, once you get there. Maybe, uh, in fact, I know there's some here that are facing surgeries and, and maybe it's a knee surgery or something like that. And, and you don't look forward to going through that because, um, well, because nobody looks forward to surgery, you know, that's in the right mind, you know, being cut on and such. I mean, that doesn't sound inviting. I mean, I've told you before, but I'm rather allergic to pain. You know, I don't like even the idea of pain, you know, but, but you're thinking about it because it's already, you're in so much pain. You think about, well, once I get through this and I go through the therapy, I'm not looking forward to the therapy, but I am looking forward to being able to go up and down stairs more easily. And so you look forward to that. There, there's something about it. Now, you know that in the interval that it's not going to be easy. It's going to be rather challenging, but what you have in all those situations and scenarios that we just kind of talked through here, there's something to look forward to that 
that helps you get through whatever it is that you're going through in the present. Jesus has just explained to his disciples that they are indeed going to suffer. That he, as their Messiah, he's going to suffer. He's going to be rejected. He's going to be mistreated. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be buried. But thank God he's going to rise again. See? Well, Peter didn't like the sound of that. He loved the Lord and he said, Lord, it, be it far from me. This, this should never happen to you. Peter didn't want Jesus to go through the suffering. Peter didn't want to go through suffering. Jesus said, not only am I going to carry a cross, you are going to carry a cross. And so he's explained all these things, these things to them in the latter part of chapter number 16. And that's what we spent a great deal of time with last week as we, as we saw this, that to follow Jesus is to be in conflict with ease and comfort. If you're really going to follow him, it, listen, it's not just going to happen. And it's not going to happen without suffering. But, but what do we have to look forward to? And why did Jesus at this point in time, why did he, um, at least with the three, allow them to see somewhat this behind the veil of his humanity? What do you mean the veil of his humanity? Well, uh, he was born of a virgin to a humble home. They couldn't even find a place for her to have the child. It was so humble. And, and, and uh, they were a poor family. But, but veiled behind that one that was born was none other than the Son of God, the glorious Son of God. And yet at this time, it was veiled in the, in the, baby, in the body of a little baby. And then all throughout his life, we've tracked his, his steps here through the Gospel of Matthew. And we've seen little glimpses, haven't we? We've seen little glimpses that, that there's something different about him. We, we've seen him, and at other times, we could say this, you know, he's, he's just exactly like us because he was 100% man, but that did not change the fact also that he was 100% God. And so we've seen him get tired. We've seen him eat. We've seen him sleep, even in a storm, but we've seen him wake up and calm the storm. We've seen him touch blinded eyes and for those eyes suddenly to be able to see. We've, heard, we've seen him heal the lame to cause the deaf to be able to hear, to cause the dumb to be able to speak. We've seen little glimpses. There's something different about this one named Jesus. And then, and then Jesus is asking his disciples, who do men say that I am? And, and so they had that discussion and Peter said that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And in their mind was, was the power and the glory that goes with that, the kingdom, acknowledging that he was indeed the Messiah was also an acknowledgement that he was the king of Israel. In fact, as he's getting ready to stand before Pilate, they, they, uh, they told Pilate this, that he's the king of the Jews or that he said he was the king of the Jews. And so there's that recognition there. Well, uh, all that's playing into this. And, and so there's, there's suffering ahead though. And so the Lord is giving them a little foretaste. Just a little foretaste of who he really is. You know why I, I think so and what the text is bearing out here? Because he knows dark days are ahead. They're going to see him stripped 
They're going to see his body bloody. They're going to, they're going to hear, they're going to see the, the cat of nine tails as he's whipped mercilessly. They're going to hear about that. They're going to see his bruised and battered body going up Mount Calvary. They're going to see him staggering beneath the cross. They're going to hear him cry out. They're going to see the crown of thorns upon his head. They're going to see the blood running down. They're, they're, he's going to be in such a condition that he's unrecognizable. They're going to spit upon him. How humiliating. They're going to spit upon him. They're going to beat him. They're going to slap him. They're going to mock him. They're, they're going to do all these things to him. But all those things do not change who he really is. They don't change who he is. And so he's giving them a glimpse. He's letting them see just how glorious he is because he knows that they're going to go through some very dark times. And I'm saying to you this morning, you and I both, we all need a glimpse of his glory for those dark days. A glimpse of his glory for those dark days. Uh, verse number one tells us that after six days, after about a week, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John. I would imagine that they probably had all kinds of conversation about what did Jesus mean that he's going to be betrayed? What did he mean that he was going to be beaten? What did he mean that he was going to be killed? They've probably been talking about this and, and, and dreading it, thinking about it, talking about it. And Jesus took them up on a mountain, up on a high mountain, apart alone. Why he took Peter, James, and John? Probably uh, these would be leaders among leaders. As you have the 12 disciples, Peter certainly would take a great place of leadership. James, his life is going to be cut short. Listen now, he himself is going to be martyred. Herod is going to kill James, the brother of John. John, John will eventually be exiled on the Isle of Patmos. Peter is going to be crucified upside down, historians tell us. Peter is going to suffer. All of them are going to suffer. And so he takes at least these three. And the Bible tells us that he was transfigured before them. Uh, transformation, as we've or transfiguration, as we've already noted, is a is to be a change in in appearance. Here he is, resplendent with glory. Can you imagine? The Bible says that in other gospels that he went up there to pray with his disciples, and as they prayed, they fell asleep. Anybody else ever been there before? As you've been praying, you fell asleep, and as they woke up, then they saw him in his glory. He'd been changed. I mean, even these lights are bright enough. Uh, they, they shed quite a bit of light. It's kind of hard to look into them. J just these physical lights. Can you imagine, friend, that his face was shining brighter than the sun? Mercy. <laughs> Can you imagine? Moses' face, when he went up Mount Sinai, his face came back glowing. You know why? Because he'd been in the presence of God. But, but listen now. That was reflected glory. It was not radiating glory. Reflecting glory is like the moon. It radiates the, the light of the sun. But here, this is not Jesus reflecting somebody else's glory. Listen, this is Jesus reflecting his own glory. Radiating, rather, his own glory. The angel at the tomb, he shone with brightness and glory. And, and then you think about others that, that were marked throughout Scripture. But listen, if that's how the servants of God was, if Moses' face was shining because he'd been in the presence of God, if the angelic beings had been glorious, then how much more glorious than the great God? 
Revelation 1 talks about his glory and, and, and his splendor. It communicates his sovereignty. It communicates his purity. It communicates that he's great and he's glorious and he's dazzling and he's magnificent. I can't, I can't put enough adjectives here this morning. I can't begin to describe to you just how glorious your Savior is. At this very hour, the angelic beings are about the throne and, and the saved of all the ages that have already gone on, they're crying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, blessed is the Lamb, power and majesty and glory and honor to the Lamb that was slain, but that lives forevermore. Oh, my soul, that's going on right now. We can't see it, but that's what's going on right now. He's glorious and, and he, he allowed his veil to be removed for just a little while and they saw him in his glory. In fact, they saw Moses and Elijah with him. Moses representing the law, Elijah representing the prophets. I mean, everything that Moses had written, everything that Elijah and all the other prophets had written, they were all pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, Moses and Elijah evidently were still very much alive. Yes, they had died or Elijah got transported up by a chariot of fire and Moses died and God buried him and, and, and took care of him. And, but hey, listen, evidently they were alive and, and Peter, James, and John knew who they were. How did they know who they were? They did coloring sheets, don't you know? As I'm just kidding. That's not how they did that. I don't know how they recognized them. All I know is that they knew there's Moses, there's Elijah, there's Jesus. It's good for us to be here. They knew it. In fact, Luke's account tells us this. Luke's account tells us that Moses and Elijah and Jesus were having a discussion about his near decease, that he would die by the cross. Moses and Elijah and Jesus were talking about that. Huh. Well, the Bible tells us that, Moses, that uh, Peter, he did not know what to say. In fact, Mark points that out. He, he didn't know what to say, so here's what he said. Lord, it's good for us to be here. We're going to build tabernacles for you. <laughs> Why did he say that? You know what I think he's communicating? Let's just stay here a while. Let's just, let's just stay right here a while. Let's build three tabernacles. The word tabernacle could be booths. The, the Jews would, would, um, would observe the feast or a festival of booths where they would uh, camp out for a while to remember what it was like in the wilderness. So that might be what he had in mind. But I tend to think that probably what Peter had in mind is what he had back in mind back in chapter number 16 when he said, Lord, that ought not happen to you because you're the Messiah. That means kingdom. And so maybe Peter even still has in his mind, here's what we're going to do. We're going to build three tabernacles. Jesus, you get this one. Moses, you get this one. Elijah, you get this one. And I think I, this is totally, totally speculation on my part. But I think Peter is also getting to where his tabernacle is going to be and James and John and the others. And we're just going to tabernacle right here with you and, and we're just going to rule and reign. No suffering, just reign. And a great cloud came. The Bible said, while he was yet speaking. Aren't you glad for times when God just causes you to be quiet? That can greatly benefit our lives. What was it? Abraham Lincoln said, I'd rather be thought of, uh, remain silent and thought of fool than to speak up and remove all doubt. 
And so this great cloud, now the cloud is significant because in the Old Testament, when they finished the tabernacle, the cloud of God's glory so filled the tabernacle that it was overwhelming to it. The cloud was at Mount Sinai when Moses, are you listening to this? When Moses went up the mountain and he met with God there, then the children of Israel looked and the cloud, the glory cloud, God's glory cloud came upon the mountain. When Solomon finished the temple and the, they tried to do ministry, they couldn't even get in the house because the glory of God had moved in. We're talking about God's glory right here. And that cloud that, that by day moved them about as the children of Israel, it represented God's presence and the pillar of fire by night. By night, I'm just simply trying to establish here today that he's a great and he's a glorious God. And that glorious cloud was, was overshadowing them and a voice spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The last time we heard that voice speak from heaven was way back in Matthew chapter number three and verse number 17 when Jesus was being baptized. That was his first public act. You know, like, I don't know if you remember that. But that well, that's been two years ago, so you may not. But, but we, we hit right around January as the president was being installed. And, and generally, whenever a president comes and his first act of, of business is going to tell us something about his administration. Well, I'm not going to stop there, but, but it says something about it, what is important to him. It says something about his mission. Well, the very first thing, the very public, very first public act of Jesus was him being baptized because his baptism was foreshadowing, was foretelling his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And whatever it is that somebody does in their first public act must be the most important thing to them. Oh, mercy. What I'm saying to you this morning is that when he came, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to give his life for you today. He came to, to save you. He came because you and because I and all the rest of humanity that we are sinners. And he was, he was crucified and he was buried. But thank God he rose again. And at the very beginning of his public ministry, the Heavenly Father said, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And now that he's getting ready to actually go to the cross within just a few moments, within just a few weeks, then the father speaks again and says, in case you're not clear on this, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. His glory was ahead. Jesus, Jesus had told them, I'm going to suffer. Jesus had told them, you're going to suffer. But Jesus had also told them in chapter 16 and verse number 27 that I'll come in the glory of my Father. <laughs> Hang on. If he's going to come in the glory of his Father and he's going to be crucified and he's going to be put in a stone cold grave, how could he come in the glory of his Father? Only if he resurrected again. Only if he would rise again. Only if he would be coming again. Hey, listen, the glory, my soul, the glory is still ahead of us. The glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's still coming, friend. He's alive forevermore. Dark days are ahead. Dark days were ahead of them, but Jesus has given them just a little, just a little glimpse of his glory. Because he knows he's going to rise again. He knows his kingdom's going to come again, but they needed that. They needed that right there. We need that right there. Why did the scribes say that Elijah would come? Well, in Malachi chapter four, verse number five, the Bible says that Elijah would come and, and prepare the way of Messiah to come. Well, we understand, and Jesus said, so I'm just gonna go by what Jesus said. 
By the way, he did not mean that, that John the Baptist was a reincarnate state of Elijah. No, he came in the spirit and power of Elijah. John the Baptist was who? John the Baptist. But he came as the forerunner, the fulfillment of that prophecy about Elijah. And he prepared the way. Well, should we be, should we be surprised that the Pharisees and the scribes and, and the others who were confused about Jesus as Messiah, should we be surprised that they would also be confused about John as the forerunner of Christ and the fulfillment of the Elijah passage? Shouldn't be surprised by that. And so that's why his disciples were asking about that. But, but the bigger reason was this. They were saying, now, wait a minute. Hang on. <clears throat> you ever been in a time when you're trying to put everything together and it's so confusing? And you're saying to the Lord, okay, so what about that Elijah thing? Right? What, what about that passage? You know why? Because they're still equating in their minds. If you're the Messiah... And that would mean Elijah who has already come. And if Elijah has come and you're the Messiah, then it must be still time to reign. So where does this suffering come in? They still weren't seeing it. There's a lot of times in life we don't understand what God is saying to us. But he was transfigured before them that they might see his glory because of the dark days that were coming ahead. He knew he was going to give his life for them. That glory, that glorious appearing of the Lord Jesus at this time would help them in those difficult days. I wrote it down this way. The depths of despair cannot even begin to compare with the glory. That'll come. I, um, I can't even begin to imagine what it was like seeing him beaten and, and know, knowing, knowing this, that with one spoken word, he could annihilate them all. And yet in his mercy and his grace, he was beaten. He was crucified. Would you agree that those would be the depths of despair for the disciples? Those three days when they waited to find out. And they, they, didn't, they didn't go to the tomb, by the way, that morning to see if he'd risen again like he said. The women went there to finalize the burial process. I'm, I'm saying to you, they were in the depths of despair. Difficult days had set in on them. But listen, no matter how bad things get, he's still glorious. They were going through great pain, and yet he has risen again. And, and he would meet with them. And, and so then their time of suffering turned to glory. The world gets it the other way around. The world wants glory, no suffering. But it actually works out this way. A big time now, but suffering later. We live the other way. Suffering now, glory later. Are you following what I'm saying? 
There is a pleasure of sin, but it's momentary and then there's consequences. But for the believer, there's salvation and difficult days and yet glory to come. His glory, his glory provides reason to keep going even when you're going through a hard time. Turn to Hebrews 11, if you would, please. I want you to see this. Hebrews 11. His glory provides reason to keep going. A glimpse of his glory can keep you going. Maybe you're going through a hard time right now. There are some painful situations represented right here in this auditorium. Some of you have some painful situations that you're in related to some family members. Some of you are experiencing pain even within your own body. Some are in painful situations related to disappointment, heartache, sometimes tragedy. <clears throat> Some are being mistreated. Some are just barely getting by. But I want to thank God today that this truth is true, whether you're living extravagantly or you're just living with meager provisions. If you're living with great Bountiful blessings, that's great. But let me tell you this, it doesn't compare with his glory. It doesn't matter how glorious your home is or how glory, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to I'm criticize you for having something nice. That's great. God bless you. Enjoy it. But just keep in mind, it's nowhere close to the glory of who he is and what he has. But if you're living in a, in a, in a little one room apartment, just barely getting by. I, I got to thinking about some of the widow ladies with the Copes back at Republic, Missouri, and some of those dear ladies on maybe a fixed income. And, and I'm thinking about going to visit Miss Florine right now on her farm where she lived and just kind of meager dwellings. Or Miss Edith Walker, she'd always have cookies ready for us. She was one of the church uh, check signers. I'd have to go over and let her sign the check, you know, and and uh, helping to pay the bills. The church had gone through a hard time and got down to just these five widow ladies. But they said, as long as you're here and I'm here, we're just going to keep this church open. And uh, they did. I'd always look forward to going to get checks signed because it meant cookies. <laughs> Miss Edith didn't live in a fancy house. She didn't drive a fancy car. A lot of things were kind of dated. You get what I'm saying? But I, here's, here's what I know about her. She has a glorious Savior. And because she went home to heaven, she's in His very presence now. What a blessing. No, no matter how meager, no matter how drear, no matter how difficult things are, listen, He's always as glorious as He always has been. Sometimes we just can't see it. Sometimes it's like it's veiled to us. Every now and then we get a little glimpse. Ooh. Look what he can do right there. But sometimes we kind of live in the dark, don't we? But that doesn't change the fact of who he is. Hebrews 11. And look at verse number 33. Hebrews eleven thirty-three. I love how Brother Dean Herring did this passage. He said, let's just imagine we're having a a praise, um, 
a testimony service here and people are standing and giving testimony. Well, let, let me call on you, sir. What, how has God worked in your life? He, and he would say, through faith, we subdued kingdoms. Somebody else, we wrought right righteousness. We obtained promises. Stop the mouth of lions. How about you, sir? Yes, quench the violence of fire. Escape the edge of the sword. I was going to die, but God delivered me. Out of weakness, we were made strong. Wex valiant in flight. Turn to flight the armies of aliens. Man, what a praise service that would be. Everybody just testifying and praising God for what he's done. How about you, sir? How about you? What, what happened in your life? I was tortured. Everybody see that? That's verse 35. I was tortured. Well, that would just kind of take the wind right out of that Thanksgiving testimony service. I was tortured. I didn't get delivered. Um, I was scourged. I was stoned. I was sawn asunder. In other words, there's some that live out their faith on the victorious side, but there's others that live out their faith on the hard side. But listen, either way, either way, he's still the same God. Whether you're experiencing great victory or you're under a great trial of affliction and suffering, he's still the same God. And that's why it, the, the idea doesn't conclude there, but it goes right into chapter number 12. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which just so easily beset us and let us run with patience or endurance the race that is set before us. What's the most exciting thing about a race? The finish line. Who's at the finish line? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God on high. For consider him who endured such a contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be faint and weary in your mind. You know what he's saying right there? Listen, he's already suffered for you, but he's entered into his glory. And yes, you may be right now, friend. You may be in a time of suffering and it may be hard on you and it may be hard in your family and it may be hard financially or it may be hard physically. But listen, look unto Jesus. Look how glorious he is. Just get a little glimpse. Just get a little glimpse and you'll see I want to keep going because of how glorious he is. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's difficult. But my friend, listen, it's worth it because he's so glorious. Father, today, I thank you. You let us have just a little glimpse just through the eyes of Peter, James, and John. And in their trial and great affliction, God, you allowed them to have a little foretaste, just a glimpse and I thank you on the authority of your word, dear God, that today that, that all those who have trusted you as Savior, regardless of how tough things get right here and right now, that God, you are still glorious, you're still in charge, and that someday we will literally see you in all of your glory. And until then, Lord, I thank you that you've preserved this passage for us, that we might be encouraged to know that we don't serve a dead Savior. We may be living in situations of life that are less than glorious, but you're not. And I pray today for some that maybe don't know you as Savior. Lord, even as you said in your word, if they gained the whole world, but they lost their own soul. They died without Christ. How tragic. 
I pray today that you'd help them. And I pray, Lord, right now that you'd encourage, Lord, those that are discouraged. Help them. Give them what they need. Help them to see just how glorious and how powerful that you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together here today.